And hello, everyone. Brian Sussman here. It's the Brian Sussman Show podcast, episode 160. So glad you're with me. We're talking about the roots. We're talking about the intentions of the climate change movement, formerly called global warming, and prior to that, called global cooling. It's absolutely true. You know that. But uh, I can't wait for this discussion to begin. In the meantime, I just want to remind you, Facebook, Brian Sussman Show. Brian Sussman Show on Facebook. For daily doses of inspiration, go to my Instagram page, at Brian Sussman Show. And we do need to do some updating for you. We've had, of course, uh, a slew of tornadoes hitting the deep south, parts of the Midwestern United States. I just have to let you know, while the climate change people are claiming this is a sign of climate change because we're having tornadoes during the winter months, um, it's quite common to have tornadoes during January, February, March. Of course, once you get into April, those are the spring months. So some are saying, well, these tornadoes, you know, wintertime, but it's, it's early. It's as if the seasons are changing on an earlier basis. That's all baloney. There are records on the books of vicious, deadly tornadoes taking place in the Midwest and the Deep South going back as long as we've been keeping records during these particular months. The tornadoes that occur this time of the year are a bit different. The wintertime tornadoes are a bit different in terms of their dynamics, but nonetheless, they can be incredibly deadly. It has nothing to do with global warming. And by the way, if you want to use tornadoes as, as an indicator of climate change or global warming or whatever, that's a bad place to go because the frequency and intensity of tornadoes don't seem to match any climate change that they say is occurring. Matter of fact, we had some relatively dull, if you're a tornado researcher or tornado chaser, during these last few years where they say we have been warming, uh, we've had some pretty dull years in terms of tornadoes. Same thing can be said with hurricanes. So there's no correlation. I know they like to make you believe there is, but there is not. Uh, but we've had these tornadoes, and our hearts go out to everyone who's been impacted by this. It's just awful. That's, that's all you can say. It's terrible. But, but place your trust and your faith in the Lord. Don't trust in your chariots. Don't trust in your horses. Trust in the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Well, okay, let's continue with this series, Skyjacked. Why am I talking about the climate? It's because the climate is being used. We've been skyjacked. The climate debate has been weaponized. It's no longer a debate. You have all facets of the media working together, essentially, with a few outliers here and there. You have the United Nations and the World Economic Forum now that have formed a union back in 2019. They are one. You have all these elites from all over the world who are looking for a way to take over this planet. They want to change the economy. They want to change the morality. They want to change the way in which we live. Why? Because of something I talked about in the last two episodes of this podcast series, the laws of matter crafted by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. And at the end of the day, the laws of matter declare that people like us, left to our own devices, are going to ruin the planet and kill one another. 
The laws of matter also declare that there are people who have had experienced a leap, a leap in the, within a species, and they have better brains than everybody else. They're the elites, and they should be calling the shots. Certainly not a representative republic like the United States. That kind of, that kind of a democracy doesn't work. We need top-down. We need oligarchy. We need totalitarianism. We need something different. Great Reset. So before we can ever talk about the Great Reset, and before we can talk about other things that are happening right now in the world, including weather modification, which is very real, I want to get to the roots of the matter because I like, I like formulating a debate so that people can come together and reason. And, and we can have discussions with meaning, persuasive discussions with meaning. That's, that's my goal and aim of this podcast series. And I believe, getting back to my wife, this was really her idea. Uh, I was doing some other things. I had no intention of writing another book on this topic. And I believe she was prompted by the Holy Spirit. And she really wanted me to go down this road. So I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I hope that I can do it in a reasonable manner. I hope that um, as opposed to perhaps in the past when I was bombastic and, and used lots of superlative language um, to try to make my, my case on certain issues, I, I don't need to do that. That was a long time ago. I don't need to go down that road any longer. I think we can do this by being reasonable and being kind and being compassionate. And that's what I entail to do. So let's continue with our discussion from yesterday. These podcasts are all about 20 minutes long. Karl Marx, Karl Marx perceived nature as an effective apparatus to justify his prejudice of capitalism and liberty and hatred of God. So in many ways, he's the patriarch of the modern green agenda. Now, let me go to 1862. This is a fellow materialist an academic colleague of Marx. He's a German guy. He's a chemist, Justus von Liebig. He published a book. It was actually an update to a, a book he published 22 years prior. It was entitled Organic Chemistry and Its Application to Agriculture and Physiology. This book was unique. It was the first time a scientist ever used his lectern to create an environmental argument to attack capitalism. This is exactly what's happening today. It's an environmental argument that they're using to attack capitalism, to attack God, to attack life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, property. It's an environmental argument. You have to stay with me on this. Now, the issue at hand in 1862 was guano, bird poop. In the mid-1800s, Britain's citizens were living longer, health, healthier lives compared to the rest of the world. It was Great Britain. They were living longer, healthier lives. Much of its good fortune was because of newly developed domestic farming techniques that could uh, that could deliver an abundance of affordable food to the people. One of the key ingredients to the Brits' farming success was guano. Guano is, if you purchase, for, listen, I, I talked about this in an earlier podcast. I've got this unbelievable organic garden. And some of my soil amendments include guano. It's a, gr it's a great fertilizer. 
See, when God put this planet together, he put it together. Bird poop. Who knew? It's great fertilizer. Farmers were willing to purchase this fertilizer basically at that time in the mid-1800s from anyone in the world who would sell it at a reasonable price. Why? Because it worked. Guano imports, listen to this, to England. They first began in 1841. 21 years later, it's estimated there were over 3 million tons of this additive. It's phosphate-rich. Phosphate's great for plants. Had been brought into the country. Three, 3 million tons. Guano was being carried to market from mountaintops, fields, caves, Europe, North America, South America, Africa, Caribbean, wherever they could find it. They'd load it up on ships and send it to Great Britain. So von Liebig, being a chemist, he well understood the theoretical benefits of utilizing guano as a fertilizer. But he hated it for three reasons. First reason, again, von Liebig, he is a colleague of Marx, essentially a disciple of Marx. He knew Karl Marx personally. He understood that guano works as a fertilizer, but he hated it. One, because while collecting deposits of the organic material, the workers were harming nature, in his opinion. Two, von Liebig contended that greedy guano traders were taking advantage of underpaid workers in order to turn a profit. Three, he was angered that the crops benefiting from guano were growing at a rate that superseded nature's intention. The increased yields created more vegetables and more meat, you know, because the, 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 the plants would be fed to livestock. More vegetables, more meat for Londoners to eat. More feed for livestock. Yes, people, Von Liebig would certainly admit, were living longer, healthier lives, but they were also having larger families, which led to larger houses and more animals. And this progression required more food and more feed and more excrement and more pollution. So let's go back. Um, collecting deposits of the organic material, in doing so, the workers were harming nature. Well, maybe. I wasn't there to witness it, but maybe they were, but maybe they weren't. Maybe nature would grow back just fine after they were done collecting their guano. So I, I can't speak to that, but I do know that the guano could certainly have been harvested in a, in a proper way uh, to respect nature around it. That's not a big deal. That could be worked on. If that, if that really was a problem, that could be worked on. Second, uh, greedy guano traders were taking advantage of underpaid workers in order to turn a profit. Well, were the workers happy? Were the workers getting what they wanted in order to better their lives? My guess is probably yes, unless it was a slavery system, which there's no indication that it was. So it sounded like everybody was getting something that, that they were happy with. The, the, the workers weren't being, um, the workers weren't enslaved. Third, he just didn't like the benefits of guano because of its effect on humans. Because at the end of the day, these people hate humans. They just don't want uh, the population to get larger. And I think there may be some, some jealousy or envy involved. What's je jealousy is...
Jealousy is, I don't want you to have what's mine. That's why God is said to be a jealous God. He doesn't want the devil to have his people. Envy is, I want what you have. So, Von Liebig, I think if you were to boil it down, the guy was, he was, it was a combination of jealousy and envy. This guy just had a problem with people doing better than he was doing. I think, I think that's the case for, for so many on the left. But when you get to this elite status, this elite status, they look down at the rest of the world and, you know, this person's so content with their God and they're content with their faith and they're content with their little family and I can't stand that or something like that. But the bottom line is Von Liebig described guano as being at the center of a robbery system. His words, fiery rhetoric, fiery rhetoric. This is where all these environmentalists get it from. It started with Von Liebig, a robbery system. And using very variegated imagery, Von Liebig said Great Britain's use of guano. Now, again, this is, this is the first environmental speech. Listen to the fiery language. That's why you want to know why so many of these um, environmentalists, so many of these climate change and global warming advocates, why their language is so... So just over the top, why Al Gore goes off at the UN and at Davos and is described by even the mainstream media as unhinged. It started with Von Liebig. He said this, the use of guano deprives all countries of the conditions of their fertility. It has raked up the battlefields of Leipzig and Waterloo and Crimea. It has consumed the bones of many generations accumulated, accumulated in the catacombs of Sicily and now annually destroys the food for a future generation of three millions and a half of people. Like a vampire, it hangs on the breast of Europe and even the world, sucking its lifeblood without any real necessity or permanent game for itself. Okay, is that over the top or what? Sucking lifeblood. Like a vampire consumes the bones, destroys food for future generations. This is the same type of rhetoric you hear from the progressives who are trying to tell us the climate is spinning out of control and it's your fault and we've got to do something. We've got to do something radical, like reset everything in the name of humanity. They, the template was written for this by Von Liebrig, a direct disciple of Karl Marx. For Liebig, just like so many today on the left, there is no compromise. This guy was the first fellow traveler with a physical science PhD to attack capitalism based on environmental standards. His shrill strategy was thoroughly vetted by Marx and eventually became the lever of choice for future socialists and communists who, like a hen house full of little uh, chicken littles, tried to convince the world the sky is falling. That's what they're running around. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is just like the little chicken little story, right? And it's all your fault. 
Karl Marx latched onto this so fast. Karl Marx, when, when von Liebig wrote what I just read to you, Marx was in the process of completing a signature work called Das Kapital. And Marx was impacted by von Liebig's book on organic chemistry. And he wrote a letter to Engels, his writing partner, Marx, Marx's writing partner, Engels. He said, I had to plow through the new agricultural chemistry in Germany, in particular von Liebig, which is more important for this matter than all of the economists put together. He was saying, Liebig has something here that we've got to dig into. Marx believed that the earth possessed what he commonly would refer to as natural wealth. And in Das Kapital, he described fruitful soil, waters teeming with fish, etc., waterfalls, navigable rivers, wood, metal, coal. He said, this is natural wealth and humans do not have a right to any of it. Marx, like von Liebig, was convinced that such natural resources did not belong to man and could only be utilized if necessary for the absolute common good and without anyone garnishing a profit along the way. That's what Marx believed. Oh, just, you, just wait till I get to Vladimir Lenin because for those of you who may have grown up in the former Soviet Union, <clears throat> you will resonate with what I have to say. But, but in Das Kapital, Marx went on to say, one of von Liebig's immortal merits is having developed from the point of view of natural science, the negative, i.e. destructive side of modern agriculture. Regarding von Liebig's extreme criticism of the guano trade, Marx focused less on the cycle of secretions and more on the sheer economics. The British trade, he said, of guano exploited natural wealth, and in order to garner a surplus profit, the upper class was exploiting the lower class. That's the way he saw it. As crop yields expanded, natural wealth was further abused by farmers who gained higher profit margins. Shame on those farmers. They shouldn't be able to make any money in the, in, the, in the eyes of Marx. They should not be able to make a profit off their crops because the, the crops provided an overabundance of feed for livestock, which enabled the upper-class farmers to reap further profits by raising more animals at less cost. This is how Marx and the progressives see the world. Unless, unless they're at the top of the, of the manufacturing slash production heap, then it's okay. Like von Liebig, Marx also acknowledged that city dwellers were able to purchase more food at lesser cost, encouraging them to have <clears throat> larger families. Larger families required bigger houses built by more exploited workers. The urban population boom required more horses for transportation, more subsequent animal dung, which had to be removed from the cities and hauled to the dump by exploited, underpaid laborers. Marx perceived all of this as being nothing more than a vicious cycle perpetuated by a lust for profit. And here's what he said in Das Capital: the increased exploitation of natural wealth by the mere increase in the tension of labor power, science and technology, give capital a power of expansion. He further opined this, and I'll wrap it up. 
All progress in capitalistic nature is a progress in the art, not only of robbing the laborer, but robbing the soil. And all progress in increasing the fertility of the soil for a given time is a progress towards ruining the lasting sources of that fertility. The more a country starts, get ready for this, the more a country starts its development on the foundation of modern industry, like the United States, for example, the more rapid is this process of destruction. These elites that meet at Davos, these elites that meet every day at the United Nations, these elites who have found themselves in places of power, governmental power and bureaucratic power in the United States of America, believe this, the United States is destroying the world. And it's gotta be stopped. And we've got a hook, it's called climate. And we're going to weaponize climate as the best tool ever to bring forth a reset. A reset that includes the economy. A reset that includes sustainable development, social justice, social equity. A reset that includes the liquidation of Christianity. Now, when we continue in tomorrow's episode, that'll be episode number 161. I'm going to talk about the World Economic Forum and how they tie in neatly to these doctrines that emanated in the mind of Karl Marx. That's in the very next podcast. In the meantime, don't forget my Facebook page, Brian Sussman Show, for daily doses of inspiration. It's Brian Sussman Show on Instagram, and I appreciate you so much for listening. Spread the word. God bless you, my friends. Until next time, signing off.